Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. I'm Julie Smith and this week I'm with Sarit Packer and Itamar Srilovich from Honey & Co as we chase smoke and cook over open fires around the Levant. But before we do, to round off my shout outs of food podcasts that should be on your radar, I began by congratulating them on theirs and their nomination for this year's Fortnum and Mason Award for the Food Talks. I asked them what role their podcast plays in their brand. Well, it's very much um, like everything we do. It's kind of a happy mistake. And it's very much a, a passion project for us. We, we've not, um, you know, we've started it for very selfish reasons. We, we are very keen podcast consumers. We always have, you know, somebody, something or somebody mumbling at the background. And when we opened the deli, we really saw it as an excuse. The deli was kind of like our, uh, what's it called? Our bucket list. It's everything we have ever wanted. So it's a bookshop, it's an ice cream store, it's a wine shop, it's everything, you know, it's a deli, uh, it's a grocery store. Uh, and we thought it'll be a really good opportunity to meet all the people that we love and admire from the food world and, and around the way. And the good sort of interesting way for people to communicate with us so and a great way of getting the honey and co brand out into the food world yeah i mean it was just a you know the 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 talks came first and then they sold out so quick so we said we'll record it and then that became the podcast and that kind of has a life on its own yeah. yeah. But also with Chasing Smoke, I've been listening to some of the podcasts that you've done to just to kind of do the behind the scenes, the process, which I love of uh, how actually people do put a book together. So you take us, Zoom permitting, through the, 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 the process of putting that book together with lovely Patricia, who's your photographer, and you, you cook up some of the stuff and you kind of go back through that. That's a lovely thing to do, isn't it? It really takes people, the listener, into the book, behind the scenes, but you can also smell it through a podcast, I think. I mean, we were hoping to do something quite exciting and quite different because our, our podcast usually is a pretty much a one-on-one -on -one conversation, maybe with a couple extras. Um, and then at the end of the last season, we did this compilation episode with all our women managers. And we enjoyed it so much that when we came back with the book... And it was coming out, we thought, actually, these compilations where it's a mix and we jump from one thing to another is quite exciting. And we really wanted to give this feel of how do you cook stuff, but just just through audio, but just to kind of like, like get in people's heads. You know, it's a really, I mean, you must know, but it's a, it's a very kind of personal medium. You're in someone's ears, you're speaking to them directly. They have this connection to you and they kind of, you feel like you're guiding them. And we really wanted to talk to these people that we had traveled with because we had such an amazing trip and then lockdown happened. Trips, I should say, because we went on several trips and we met amazing people, fun people. And we kind of thought, OK, this is the start of doing this regularly. And then lockdown hit and we just haven't gone anywhere for a year and a half. Yeah. And we just thought, wow, it would be so nice to speak to these people, see how their year has been. And also it's been such a monumental year for everyone. We wanted to hear what it was like in these countries and to record that and to you know, just get a, a proper feel for it. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how the, the podcast came together. And then the whole thing about the book was to try and bring it alive as much as possible. Um, 
also in the book itself with the photography, with Itamar's beautiful stories. And, you know, the, the whole thing is about trying to take you on a journey somewhere. It is a dream of a book. I mean, you know, you do take us to the heart of uh, cooking over fire throughout the Middle East. You didn't just go to Cairo. You didn't just go to Alexandria. You didn't just go to Jordan. I mean, you know, tell us where you went. We'll go through them in the four food moments. But come on, take us on that journey. I mean, it was quite shortened as well. We had like 12 more places on the list, but uh, we just had to whittle it down. And we did want to keep it quite sort of area specific. So we stayed to the kind of eastern corner of the Mediterranean. So we went to Greece, we went to southern Turkey, to Israel, to Jordan and to Egypt. And we were just kind of looking into maybe the second cities and places that are a little bit off the beaten track. Uh, we thought maybe we can sort of rustle up something interesting there. And it, it was a hunch that sort of paid off, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's beautifully evocative, but you were particularly following the smoke trail. Why why smoke this time? I mean, I know that smoke is very important to Honey & Co. Um, but, but yeah, tell me why you chose to do a book about chasing smoke. Well, we opened, we opened the grill restaurant. Four so years it's, ago, it's another it's another happy mistake. Yeah, but well, the the grill <laughs> restaurant wasn't the mistake, was it? I mean, this was actually always our plan was to have a proper kind of Middle Eastern grill place. But uh, when we had first set off, we didn't have the money to kind of set up this thing and to find the right location. And it took us a while. So we did Honey and Co. And then we did the deli. And then we managed finally to open this grill restaurant. And originally, this was going to be a restaurant book. Uh, like we did the Honey and Co book, this was going to be the Honey and Smoke book. But when we sat down to start like compiling what we wanted to do, we also thought this is quite a good chance for us to explore the origins of why it's always been on our minds to have this kind of grill restaurant and also to understand the sensibilities behind this food so that we know why we're doing it so like you, you know what i mean like sometimes you kind of have this thing in your head you have to uh you, you have this compulsion to open a place or to do this food but we wanted to explore why this is such a big part of our psyche um and we just said actually why don't we go to these countries and see you know see what it's about uh, see if it's still as we remember it as kids because we haven't lived in the middle east for 17 years you know and yeah. uh because you both grew up in Israel. We came here as a married couple. We both grew up in Israel, but left. I left at 20 for a few years to the UK and then went back for a couple of years, and that's when I met Itamar. And then we both emigrated here together. But this was a long time ago, and we kind of actually, most of our adult life have not spent there at all. So it was kind of a bit of like reconnecting a bit, seeing the, the region again, looking... I mean, we've traveled all through the years... Um, to Greece, to Turkey, definitely back to Israel to see family. But we wanted to do more than that. We wanted to, to explore the, the origins of that food, of the sensibility of um, big parties around fires and entertaining and stuff like that. And yeah, so, so that was how it ended up being more travel book than yeah. a restaurant book. So take us back to your childhoods in Israel. Let's start there with that open fire cooking. You mentioned big family parties, which we associate with the way that people eat in, in, in the Middle East, tends to be outside. 
I don't know if people are so aware of the open fire cooking. I mean, obviously, it gets one of the origins of cooking. But why is it such a huge part of Middle Eastern food in particular? Well, I think that it's, uh, it's like you said, I think cooking on, on live fire, actually, we've been doing it as a species for a while. And it's just very recently that we've stopped do you know what I mean? It's very recently that we started cooking indoors on stoves with very clean sort of energy. And I think in in the Middle East, it's still, you know, in a lot of places, even now, it's still, you know, we were in southern Turkey and you still see people bringing their food to the local bakery. Everyone has, you know, stoves and modern kitchens, but the the flavor is not quite the same, is it? It's funny. It's like a lack of connection. I mean, we've connected so much more with food, where food comes from, what food is for, and and its impact on the way that we live through the massive diversification of food culture, particularly in London. You guys have contributed to that enormously. But actually, going back to cooking over an open fire had something completely different. I mean, we had a wonderful weekend in Brighton this week. The kids came down and we took a, your recipe book out and we cooked up your food moments over open fire yeah. in a tiny little city flat over. We did it, the tomatoes, which we're just going to talk about in your first food moment, in a chimney. I saw you. I saw you were playing. <laughs> um, we had the, the lamb going on the yeah. uh, the barbecue and we had an open fire in the chimney. Now, I, I honestly have never done anything like that before. Chimeneas is what you put yeah. on in the late evening to keep yourself a little bit warm. But it was really fundamentally different. Yeah. It tasted very different. It was a different connection with the food. We were able to watch it. You know, I don't tend to, of course, we watch when we cook, but we don't experience it in the same no. way. It's quite mesmerizing, it is. isn't it? It's like, you know, we always say we, where there's a fire going, you can just look at it. It's enough. You know, you, you don't need a screen and you don't need anything to happen. Just looking at the fire is enough. I think it's something that's so elemental in us. And it slows down the cooking process. You, you are getting so much more involved and engaged with it. It's more than just slapping dinner on the table. No, because it's it's a whole experience of smell as well. Because as soon as things hit the fire, they start to smell, and and it's a it's a noise thing because you hear them sizzle and hiss, and then as they cook, they they get kind of more intense and more caramelized, and so so you're enjoying the viewing as well as the the smelling, the hearing. It's, yes. it's a full kind of sensory yeah. sensory it experience. It really is. So let's take take us through that first food moment. It's the Galayette Bandura, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, from Jordan. From Jordan, yeah. So give us the background to that, that magical day with Ramsey in spring in Jordan. It, such a beautiful day. You know, we we were, we had this amazing guy who is with us uh, for a week in Jordan and he's an adventure, adventure tourist, he calls himself. Um, a young guy called Ramsey. And they, they, this is what they do. They take people around Jordan, show them the beauty of it. And we had never been. Even though it's just across the border from us, uh, we've always known about it. There's obviously all the stories about Petra. And, and, it, and it, it's, you know, we just have never been. Um, and he was showing us around as well as he shows a lot of other people around. And we we just said to him, we just want to see kind of what you do. And he took us to this amazing little uh, town. 
called Aljun? Um, Al-Salt. Al no, Al-Salt. Al-Salt. Al and it had like a beautiful local market and we just walked around the market and we were picking the things that looked beautiful and there was these amazing tomatoes and beautiful kind of little uh, onions and everything was just really nice. So we bought kind of a whole lot of things and then we went to a bakery and we bought this amazing, huge, huge bread that's like a blanket. Um, and then he drove up into the mountains and it was just the most magical day. First of all, it was kind of spring, everything in flower, in bloom, like green. You know, you kind of don't associate the Middle East with this kind of beauty because you just think, oh, camels, desert. This is like everyone's association and parts of it are like that. But in springtime, in early spring, it's just so beautiful, so green, wild anemones and wild irises and daisies and everything was just so beautiful. And we got to this little shepherd's hut that they sometimes use on their hikes and, uh, And outside, just by the kind of fence, we built a little fire. First, we made tea, and you have it with, like, wild herbs from the, from the field around. And then he just said, Let, let's make this tomato stew. And it's really so simple and so, so delicious. It was one of the best meals we had. And just, like, watching it happen, watching the, snow, the smoke kind of drift out into the, into the sky. And it, it was really magical and almost... It felt like home, but wasn't home. It's hard to explain, but because basically I'd just grown up kind of a few hours to the other yeah. side, you could kind of almost see where I grew up. Uh, so it smelt the same, it looked the same, but it was just different and, and very beautiful. So it was a very special moment. And the tomatoes were absolutely delicious. Yeah. Like the ones you remember from childhood, but don't get anymore. <laughs> of course. And I will try it again in deep, deep summer because of course it's early yeah. time for, for tomatoes right now. And it was completely delicious under our beautiful starry sky on Saturday night with all my kids around. And it was just absolute heaven, but I will try it again. Your second food moment is the sweet potato in Egypt. Now, This feels exotic in the extreme to me. <laughs> I love this idea of these little metal uh, contraptions. What were they? Like little buckets with charcoal lighting up like fireflies. Not buckets, full-on ovens, like full-on ovens on wooden trolleys. Yeah. But like small, like, you know, like a, imagine a pizza oven, but small. And on a wooden trolley, it almost defies all belief. Yeah, on, yeah. on, the, on the boardwalk. And, and How pretty. It's such, it's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous because Alexandria, I mean, it's a hectic town. It's busy. It's crazy. It's bustling. The energy is unreal, you know. Yeah. And uh, just when you hit the sea, when you hit the, the boardwalk, the corniche, they call it, you know, especially around kind of... Um, evening time around sunset suddenly all these little handcards come out of nowhere i don't know what they do in the day and everything slows down and everything relaxes and then just these carts passing by and you'd be like yeah what some of this some of that and the sweet potatoes were just amazing it was such a revelation because it's it's nothing it's just sweet potatoes wrapped you know in in foil and they just cook them until they you know on on these little stoves until they're like meltingly soft and something the most incredible things happen because they the flavor is so concentrated and it becomes like toffee almost yeah. like treacle yeah. 
And you just get it with a sprinkling of salt and it's just the most magical food moment you can Absolutely. have. It's really special. And one of the, the recipes you put with it is with this almond tahini. Now that is absolutely delicious. It's particularly with mm. smoked almonds. That goes so well. Yeah. Was that your addition? Or? The, the, that is our addition. I think the whole book is this mix between tradition and what we do now and how... We look at it because we do have a grill restaurant and we do actually cook in these traditions all the time. We didn't want it to be completely kind of removed. And also we always do something to enhance in case the produce isn't as exciting. Uh, then there's always like little things to do to, to kind of make sure that the flavor is still there. You know, ultimately we want the food to be delicious. And if, if you know, if you can't get it just from the produce, then we add little touches, but also... We find this like almond tahini is an excellent preparation to go with anything grilled. Do you know what I mean? Anything grilled that's got some sweetness. So we serve it with peaches in summer and we serve it with um, pears in uh, autumn and then sweet potatoes usually in winter to give you something a bit heartier. And we kind of really wanted to showcase that the fire can do a lot and then you just add some, you know, a couple of special tricks that you add to something and it just elevates it completely. Um, and we, we kind of saw people grilling everything, uh, I suppose, in the Middle East, but they don't tend to, to mess around with the food too much. Yeah. Um, the messing, I suppose, is kind of a, a London interpretation. We mess with the food. Yeah, we we like to play with the yeah. food. Well, why not? Well, chefs, and, you're creative. Yeah. Why not? And the almond tahini <laughs> is one of those things that is such a nifty little number to have because it's so easy to make. It's so absolutely delicious with everything you serve it with and, you know... So easy. Yeah. Absolutely easy. Yeah. Your third food moment takes us to Turkey. And again, you were there during the, the month of Ramadan. It's, it's fantastically evocative, these stories. Tell us why you, you chose that particular uh, recipe, but also why Turkey and that bit of Turkey? You know, everywhere you go in Turkey or if you'd go into a Turkish restaurant uh, anywhere in the world, and, you know, there are tremendous many and actually really good ones as well here in London, you'd always see uh, Adana kebab, you know? And it's a very controversial thing, you know, what makes an Adana kebab? What is it? Is it the seasoning? Is it the cooking? Is it what is the what makes it? And it's very controversial. Like if you if you talk to people who are kind of in that world, they will say, you know, this is fine, this is not fine. So we said, you know, if we're going to write a Middle Eastern grill book. This is where we need to go. We need to go to that part of the world. And we've been to Istanbul a couple of times. We've been to Western Turkey a few times. We've never been to this part of kind of south southeast Turkey. And that was just incredible. I mean, the whole area there, the whole region is just the produce is out of this world, like everything, the fruit, the vegetable, the dairy, the meat, everything is just so good and wholesome, you know, and they really know what to do with it there. Talking about this produce, you know, we walked into this restaurant and it had this pile of aubergines, like, but, you know, we get a lot of aubergines, we burn a lot of aubergines, but this restaurant was like, it was a it's massive, like a room, a massive table of aubergines. And we were like, wow, what are they doing with them? Because we knew it was like a, you know, a skewer place, a kebab place, a fireplace, but we didn't really realize what they were doing with them. And then, you know, they were just cutting these aubergines and cutting these aubergines and then started to skewer them with meat and aubergine and meat and aubergine. And it, it looked so beautiful, first of all, before. 
and we kind of were just seeing them prep. And I think then we went for like a walk in the market and we came back just towards the dinner service and then kind of it's dinner service. And it's when everyone sits down to, to eat, you know, because the, the fast is breaking and then all these skewers go on the fire, but like rows of them. Yeah. And it's like roaring fire. They were, they were feeding like, I don't know, 400 people there in that restaurant that night. The grill was blazing, you know, and it was endless. It was like 15 meters. I don't know. It was crazy. So many chefs. And it was like a military yeah. operation almost, you know, these beautiful aubergine skewers on top, in, out, turning them around. And it was just, um, yeah, incredible. Yeah, and again, you know, it's it's early summer here. And, you know, we did get the, the aubergines from around the corner, but they weren't the aubergines that you were using. But they were yeah. still absolutely delicious. One of my daughters is vegan, so we just did the aubergines with her. But actually, you know, what you say is uh, make those little um, lamb meatballs and really they push them onto yeah. the skewer right next to the aubergines. So the aubergines are almost like supporting the, the meatballs. And there is nothing that goes as well as lamb meatballs and aubergines over a hot fire it was absolutely magnificent so yeah so you play with your tahinis and with the lamb chops in your final food moment uh this is a sensational tahini tell us about this with the pomegranate molasses the anchovies and the tahini yeah just a bit tahini just a bit of chili and the, the kind of idea is really like tahini makes an excellent barbecue sauce. So we do versions that are also completely vegetarian. We do uh, a version sometimes that has a bit of uh, soya and some date molasses for a different kind of sweetness. But here with the lamb, the anchovies just bring out a really nice saltiness. Pomegranate molasses gives it like a, a kind of sharpness and a zing and some sweetness. And when you grill this, the nuttiness, the kind of delicious thing that happens is just absolutely delicious. And we we kind of, again, this is not a traditional one. This is what we would do to, I suppose, kind of mess around with it or, or you know, get something happening. But but it really works so, so well. And you can grill any piece of meat with it, really. Yeah. But lamb just works so well. The fattiness of the chops and the really tender meat and then this kind of nutty caramelized uh, marinade. But this takes you right back to home. And I would love to find out more about your family feasts in Israel. I mean, you haven't been to Israel, obviously, since lockdown, but it is somewhere that you go back to often to reconnect. I mean, how much is a trip home really integral to what Honey & Co. as a brand, all that you do, is all about? It's an interesting question. Well, for for the longest time, it was uh, literally the produce so we would go back and come back with i don't know last time we came back with uh 60 liters of uh freshly pressed new season olive oil of a particular variety that we love we always bring you know all the spices literally in our suitcase so in a very real sense the food is in honey and co is the food that we bring with us um but also metaphorically Yes, this is, you know, our, our sensibilities are there, you know, and our kind of food culture is from there and, and we cannot change that. And of course, we adapt it, we, we make sure that it's, you know, it's what our guests would enjoy and what would suit our guests. And we adapt it to what produce that we have here as best as we can. But 
the sensibilities are very, very similar. It's, it's about the, you know, the fruit and the vegetables and the produce. I mean, I, I know we're very faddish in this country. You know, we've got such a weird connection with food and it's so new to us to have a vibrant food culture that we can't get enough and we jump on these fads so israeli food was a big thing you know for for a while largely thanks to you guys but but i wonder if it is about the british seizing on a new uh, food culture that's exciting that's street food that's out there that's that it's it's so much more than just the new flavors that they're becoming aware of you know you kind of go and soak up the feeling of these food cultures it's much more than the ingredients isn't it yeah well but i i do think that look it it is a a multicultural society and it is a society in flux there's no doubt about it and just like you know spag bowl is a british dish and you know all different kind of curries it's are, are british now in a very real sense you know they're not authentic to the place they came from but they are authentic to this day and age and i think it's it's a magnificent thing for a culture to be able to absorb and to celebrate a new rival and to kind of transform it a little bit and there's you know there's a dark side to it of course with you know you can talk about cultural appropriation but i think mostly celebrating other countries that that ended up in your shores how wonderful how wonderful it's not just the the food though like you say it's it's celebrating a culture that is maybe slightly more relaxed and less buttoned up and being able to kind of have a street snack you know we used to laugh that our customers would eat everything with a knife and fork and like you you know as an Israeli when you watch or anyone I suppose from the Middle East not just Israelis and we don't just specifically say our food is Israeli at all we very much are inspired by the entire Middle East and of this culture but when you watch an English person eat a falafel with a knife and fork, you think it's quite funny, you know? It would never, <laughs> never, ever be the way that, that anyone would eat it back home. So I think this kind of slightly loosening, allowing yourself to eat something like in a street market, off a food stall, being a bit drippy and messy and, you know, kind of a bit more connected to it and trying different flavors mixed together. This is like a place that... the 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 UK is evolving too, and especially London, I think. I mean, the whole UK, but especially London. Like Itamar says, it's lovely to see that there's like accepting that things can change and you can do it differently and it doesn't have to be meat and two veg and that that's dinner kind of thing. But there's also something very lovely about feeding people your favourite food, isn't it? I remember coming to your restaurant when I was interviewing you for the Delicious podcast and you literally kept bringing stuff out. I think I was talking to mainly to Itamar and Sarit. You were in the kitchen and Itamar was saying, Sarit, bring out this, bring out this. It was just me eating and there was this entire table full of food and I, you know, it was heaven. But the point was that you were so proud of it. You wanted me to taste this and that because this, everything had a story behind it. And and your job, you know, you're storytellers, aren't you? As much as you are chefs, you are storytellers. We're storytellers and we're feeders. Do you know what I mean? Like it's uh, some people are kind of, I don't know, inspire your brain. I suppose we inspire your stomach juices. Like this is what we do. This is how we connect to people. We feed them. We want to see them get happy and relaxed and joyful. And this is kind of how we've connected with people for years. So it's it's kind of ingrained in us completely. So we were talking, Itamar, about experiencing other people's food and different cultures and and 
playing with ideas and i noticed that patricia uh, your photographer on one of the podcasts the chasing smoke podcast suggested that the next book is about green things around the world i can imagine your publisher's going <laughs> yes let's get them on another plane let's send them off let's get them being chased I around by taxi drivers all around these strange places and wonderful storytelling will come out of it how likely is that um we we've kind of actually we've been somewhat uh occupied with other things <laughs> lately <laughs> uh such as uh how to run a closed restaurant um and how has that been not great uh not great but it's just one of those things that you need to power through and hopefully get to the other side um i mean how have you been doing and i hear you've been doing the boxes uh, a lot of people oh we've done everything yeah. you know we've done everything and anything oh. we try to have as much fun with it uh we try to do things that are valuable and authentic to us uh we didn't want to become a takeaway shop um we just wanted to stay a restaurant so mm-hmm. we had to find a way of doing that uh with varying degrees of success i think definitely we've learned so much and we've been more creative than we've ever been in our lives mm-hmm. I think so many people in the hospitality industry have been. What do you think were your biggest successes? Mm, I, I love our boxes that we do. I think they're really, really special. And it's been uh, good for our guests. So we still, you know, refer to our customers as guests, even though we send food to people's homes. We always try to make it more than just food. We try to make it a little bit of a fuller experience with, you know, be it uh, the themes of, of the weekly boxes that we do, the music that we send to people. Now the podcast, the podcast because yeah. they're all kind of around these countries that we visited. So you can kind of have a little experience of an evening, feel like you're on holiday even when you're at yeah. home. And that, that's been really nice for us. It's been kind of a real connection. It really has allowed our chefs and our team to stay sane yeah. because it's it was really hard for people to be like okay we what are we now who are we now exactly and we were able to say to them we are still a restaurant we're still doing what we do we do it amazingly well we get amazing feedback and that gave us all a sense of purpose and a sense of place so i'm i'm proud of that i'm proud of that and i hope that you know, we can carry on doing that. And will you, though? Will you keep the boxes going? We'll see. We'll see. It's to, a very... To a certain degree, yeah. yeah. we're very... Uh, we try to be very flexible and to move kind of with the current. I think suddenly when all the restaurants open, people just want to go out. And we're a restaurant, so we said, okay, now we need to be a restaurant. But we don't know really what's going to happen. And this is definitely what we've learned in the last year and a half we don't know what's going to happen so we're just we've stopped planning we're just gonna go where it goes it's it's an interesting existential experience isn't it experienced by so many people all at once who are we what are we here for yeah yeah yeah. and the creativity we call it an experiment not an experience (laughs) it's like someone is experimenting on us really it's like viewing society in a different way but the whole industry is kind of having to rethink its standards and its uh, sensibilities and what it is you provide and why and i think or i hope that places that have a bit of like 
personal connection are the ones that, w- that will survive this in a kind of better way, hopefully, you know, but we don't know. We just felt like we just wanted to do something that we felt was right for us rather than just do something for the sake of doing it. It's an interesting question of what makes something survive, you know, and if it is connection, uh, isn't that what food's all about? Food and storytelling is all about connection. How great would it be if that got the thumbs up? That was the proof of what survives. We're we're definitely hoping so. Yeah, time will tell. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys. Good luck with the book. I know that you're just about to take it on tour. You're going out. I know a lot of the things are are virtual, but you are actually appearing in places. You're planning to do the food festival. Yes, we are. Actually, now everything's starting to get more booked up. We had an amazing tour booked before COVID happened because this book has kind of been in the making uh, for a while. And it was going to be a a fun year of grilling around uh, the world. But it's a bit different. A lot of it is on Zoom, but some of it is live and we're doing some kind of long tables and hopefully things continue to stay open and nothing changes on us. And then a few festivals kind of in the later part of summer, which will be fun. Uh, So yes, a lot of fun coming. Thanks for listening. You can buy all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com. And while you're there, do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I'll see you next week when we're off to Vietnam with Ewan Liu. Bye.